0: Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 58 on the film Art Museum by the Sioux. What a distinctive title. So here we go. Multiple romance stories are being gradually told. One before us, one by and before the characters in 1998's Art Museum by the Sioux. They're responsible for telling this story to a degree. So. Let's explain that in, uh, in the discussion. My name is Kenny B and with me for this uh, throwback to uh, the special Koreans in my year of 1998 is uh, Hangul O'Sulleroy, Paul Quinn.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining in and listening to what we've got to say.
0: How long has it been since Art Museum by the Zoo was, uh, was screened before your eyes? 10 years? 15 years? 20 years?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah probably one of the latter two. Um, it's been a long time since it's... Uh, essentially shortly after it came out in DVD, really. Even though it's with the last couple of years, it's completely impossible to tell how many years have gone by because they all just seem to be going very, very quickly.
0: Was the Korean new wave yesterday or 20 years ago? Don't remember anymore. Is Park Chan-wook still a hot director? (laughs) And the thing is, he is. Well,
1: yeah, and he's still playing with his phone.
0: Yeah, that's Paul's uh, cheeky way of uh, telling you uh, we might link to this. Uh, I accidentally stumbled upon um, another Park Chan-wook iphone short film he'd done one in the past and he's done one again and now it looks even more professionally filmed because uh, now the it's 4k and uh, even more hd than his uh, short film that i've forgotten the name to the shaman film thing
1: oh god uh, night fishing
0: that sounds familiar i think you're right
1: one of my favorite Park time films, to be honest
0: with you. Yeah, it was really neat. Nice experiment. But uh, it's really uh, uh, generations of phones ago, that short film. And when I just scanned totally. the new film, it was like, this looks uh, just like, you know, Kingdom on Netflix. You know, it, 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 the quality looks, uh, looks um, like any other show. But that, that's what you get uh, using phone technology nowadays. Have you seen it yet? His latest short film?
1: I haven't, I haven't, I, I had a lot of work to do, um, get, get my notes up to date for a podcast I'm recording now, so I, I, I've i been just, I haven't quite got around to it, so I got I got the link from you, and I watched about a minute of it, and I thought that looks like a King P. Young film, it really does, Um, got a giggle to myself, and I haven't quite got back around to it, maybe this evening after we finish, because after we do this, I, I'm free for the rest of the evening, so it might be a nice way to finish off.
0: 20 minutes short, I believe. It wasn't uh, terribly long or anything. So, uh, um, so yeah, it, it was on the Apple yeah. Channel. So it might be on Apple TV as well. Um, uh, I haven't checked, as a matter of fact. But, uh, but yeah, or Apple TV Plus. Anyway, uh, some brief contact information, and then we're gonna get this uh, show on the road. Uh, so this is uh, what's Korean Cinema on the Podcast On Fire Network. Our back catalog of shows uh, is available on podca- podcastonfire.com, dot as well as on Apple Podcasts spotify stitcher and wherever you find uh, podcasts and uh, social media links are available on the site uh, in terms of where we are on facebook twitter instagram and uh, the link to our itunes feed is available there as well go to mondo-macabro.com and uh, you'll find plenty of titles it's a a thriving label they've been busy the the past year but we're on there a woman chasing the butterfly of death speaking of king kia that is one of their Blu-ray titles, and me and Paul Quinn eh, provided the audio commentary for that uh, uh, title. So uh, that is, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, a region all title. Yes, it is. Yeah. So uh, they weren't restricted. Uh, they weren't um, given those restrictions, um, putting it out in America or anything. So. Check it out, and uh, uh, at the time of recording, uh, we also, not you and I, but uh, me and Phil Gillen have uh, the audio commentary out on the 88 Films Blu-ray release of uh, Jackie Chan's Armor of God. That was released in December. Probably when this is out, we are going to have a second one out on the 88 Films label for the relatively unknown, but very much uh, Kung Fu gem monkey kung fu not to be confused with mad monkey kung fu from the same year but a really a, a gem of a kung fu film that me and phil gillen did the audio commentary for and it stars uh, ching Sudong, dong who is mainly a filmmaker you might have seen or heard of some of his films uh, paul duel to the death a chinese ghost story swordsman too yeah where-
1: very much so yeah
0: he, him and Choi Hawk were a match made in heaven when they started making movies together, a Chinese ghost story. And so forth, also the action director of Hero and House of Flying Daggers and uh, the likes. So, uh, uh, but it's one of his rare on-screen roles and he's um, his terrific. And it's a wonderful little Kung Fu gem from Shaw Brothers. So that's coming up. Um, also at the time of recording, it's uh, out uh, the, the, the specs are essentially out that uh, me and Phil Gillen are also doing the audio commentary for the Shaw Brothers horror Wuxia hybrid human lanterns. Which was a delight to do. It's a favorite of mine that hybrid is um, is um, something to behold. So uh, we're, being, we're keeping busy. It's fun. and um, Getting our voices out there. Fame is not the end game. Uh, wealth is not the end game. But spreading our voices ever so slightly. Introducing our rapport to a new audience. That's a nice little balanced goal i think without um uh, you know uh, we're not gonna sit here and imagine that we're so famous and we're so rich it's uh it's a neat thing to do challenging time consuming but neat thing to do
1: and and it feels worthy as well you feel like you're really contributing something that that makes you pride i think
0: yeah each commentary um person or group or duo uh, the likes of Frank Jang, Mike Leader on the anime, they're on the label they have their own style and hopefully our report which is really like a podcast only it's uh, with a movie playing in front of us so um, we, we, we don't pre-record it without the movie and just let it run the equal amount of time that the movie runs but we have the movie in front of us but really we, we've taken the podcast style to a screen specific style and i hope hopefully our is unique enough to those who listen to audio commenters, and hopefully um our uh, our uh, content isn't uh, overlapping uh, with the other tracks because we did it in isolation and uh, we didn't know what frank jang and uh, mike leader and arne venema we're going to say on their armor of god tracks obviously all are going to touch upon the fact that jackie chan nearly died that's unavoidable but i think um we might have a maybe the story about jackie chan and alan tam trying to work with a leopard during armor of god which is a funny story from jackie's book maybe we were the only ones who retold that but uh, regardless uh, we're proud and uh, we can do better and uh, we're refining our techniques and uh, currently we're researching something for the second half of 2022 so we're um, our work uh, continues we uh, we have the uh, confidence uh, of 88 films which feels very re- rewarding so um uh, that's happening so uh, let's throw over to Paul uh, for some uh, plugging. so um uh, hang celluloid um, plug away say what you like
1: uh, I'm sure most of you already know me. I'm Paul. I run com. Your place for everything Korean, be it film reviews, talks I've given, interviews with numerous cast and crew, which um, I'll probably mention later on tonight because we are actually going to be talking um, about a couple of directors that, that I spoke to over the years. Um, head over to the site if you're interested in following me on Twitter. My Twitter feed's actually on the homepage. There's a link to my Facebook just head over to com and have a blast, hopefully.
0: You don't need to name your top 2021 movie, but um, in a particular 2020 mo- 2021 movie out of uh, South Korean cinema that you just want to recommend off the cuff, even if it's not your top favorite? favorite.
1: I would say there, there are two films that over the past couple of years, because everything's really slowed down, um, two that I would instantly recommend. I, I've mentioned one before, one's The Call, uh, starring part, you know, a horror story. Uh, that's also a, a you know, a, a story of, of people talking over time. And that's all I'll say about it. it it's on Netflix. It's, it's a, it's a fun time. And, and some of the performances in it are extraordinary. And the other film, um, which I'll also probably mention a little bit later on in tonight's podcast is a film called beasts clawing at straws, um, starring Jindo Yun and, um, Jung Woo Sung story about a someone who finds a case full of money and uh, doesn't realize whose it is or where it's come from, and it sounds you know very generic at that point, but it's so multi-layered and intricate that everything you see plays a part in what you're going to learn and what you're going to understand. Um, it's very bloody, it's very gory, it's very violent. But it's all done with a huge tongue-in-cheek attitude that just makes you giggle for for two hours at its ingenuity and its originality. Phenomenal film. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough.
0: We are going to link to a trailer for that, obviously, and hang on celluloid.com in the links uh, section in the show post. And uh, but first, I'll give you a little rundown of what's to come here in the Art Museum by Visu episode. There's uh, things to discuss, a few topics uh, before the film review. And first, we'll discuss the film's reception by audiences and awards-wise. So we'll talk some biographical details about the film's leading actress Shimuna, and uh, go through the sparse filmography of the film's director Lee Jong Hyang before. Uh, Ending the show with a review of Art Museum by the Sioux. I didn't know anything about it other than when you hear that title. Yeah, that was a Korean film from uh, so-and-so ago. Like, um, uh, I, I knew that, you know. Uh, movies like High uh, thats an old-timey Korean uh, Korean movie. Not seen it, but uh, they had um, quirky titles or just distinctive titles. and Art Museum by the Zoo is one such, such title. I didn't put this question in the uh, in the thing, but uh, do you know offhand if the Korean title is at all related to the English title or it's way different?
1: It's pretty much the same thing, you know. Art, art Museum by the Zoo, you know, whether it's switch around a little bit grammatically it's it's essentially the same thing.
0: Descriptive title yet doesn't say anything uh, before you watch it so I guess that's a, a a good thing especially if you catch audiences and it certainly did but let's uh, first um, uh, give you the plot uh, rundown so it's from 1998 and the plot from uh, Wikipedia goes as follows. On leave from the military, uh, Chiol So played by Lee Sung jae arrives at his girlfriend's apartment only to find it occupied by another woman who's uh, the character of Chun-Hee, played by Shum- uh, Shumina. Uh, after a few days, he finds out that his girlfriend is now engaged to someone else and having nowhere else to go, he ends up staying with chun He. At first, the two struggle to get along, but before long uh, Chulso discovers that she is writing a screenplay to enter into a competition and they end up working on a story together based on their experiences of love, titling it Art Museum by the Vesu. So that that's your... Um Romantic setup, I suppose, um, even though it isn't that easy. But uh, anyway, some background. Back to we're back to what is quite the inaugural year, uh, 1998, and uh, also 1999. is obviously a one where Korean cinema took a major leap, uh, a major commercial leap. But um, audiences were attending things that weren't cheery before cheery, and that's certainly true here for Art Museum by the Zoo. And uh, in in no particular um, order here, looking at uh, the elements that made it fly commercially, we'll we'll start at the audience attendance stage. And uh, it was released on December 19th, 1998, at the end of the year. And the film is noted for drawing impressive audience attendance numbers with 412,472 people attending in Seoul specifically. And when all was said and done, Art Museum by Vesu became the fifth most attended Korean film of 1998, really, really quickly. It only had like 11 or 12 days to get to the fifth most attended slot on that list. So that's impressive in itself. But this is all repeat stuff from other podcasts, but still, let's go over it again. What were the other films that beat Art Museum by, by the zoo that year?
1: As you say, 98 was was one of a couple of really phenomenal years that came in quick succession. It, it heralded the. Korean cinema had changed and audiences were realizing it's changed, even if they didn't call it the new Korean cinema wave at the time. Um, That year, the number one box office hit was a film called A Promise, Um, again, starring Do Young, one of her very, very early movies. It made, in comparison to Art Museum by the Zoo, having 400,000 odd admissions, um, A Promise had 700,000. So it's not that far ahead. Number two was of course Whispering Corridors that we've we've spoken about before. Number three was her Jin Ho's Christmas in August, again starring Shimuna and Hansa Q. And it took four hundred and twenty-two thousand admissions. And number four was the Soul Guardian starring Hansa Q. Oh,
0: so so Art Museum beat uh, the quiet family yeah.
1: Art Museum beat the Quiet Family. Art Museum had four hundred and twelve thousand Admissions. um The Quiet Family had just under four hundred thousand.
0: Right on. So, so, so it's in top ten, six or seven, sort of. Okay.
1: Pretty much, you know, and I mean that that was essentially, you know, Kim Jeong's debut piece. But Art Museum by the Zoo was pretty much a, a a debut piece as well. So it it did phenomenally well for itself, considering how important a year nineteen ninety eight would eventually become.
0: Yeah, Christmas in August is a gap we will plug. Yeah eventually uh, that's for sure uh, i was you, you really this podcast and the podcast to follow is kind of designed to uh, plug some gaps from uh, the early goings if you will um, so um, so i have a deselected christmas in august based on anything it just, uh, it's just something that hasn't come up but uh, but uh, I'm, I'm keen to uh, plug that gap because i like that uh, type of coverage uh, to uh, uh, cover beginnings
1: well, well, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about Christmas and August later on. Anyway, um, it has to be said. But all I'll say is, if you haven't seen it, see it. Um, you know, and have have the tissues at hand because it'll it'll kind of break your heart.
0: Uh, Art Museum by the zoo was written and directed by female filmmaker Lee jong Hyang, with um, uh, further credits going to writers uh, credited for adapting. So I don't know if, if you, you know if this is an adaptation of another work of, or if they worked on drafts of the screenplay with uh, Lee jong Hyang. because I read that this is based on her experiences, so it's not based on any other um, source material.
1: No, it's not. It's it's completely original. She she came up with a story. She based it she said it was semi autobiographical and it was based on actual events from her own life. A completely original story. The other writers are essentially have, have taken, you know, what is a a new director um and honed what she's written and turned it into, I guess, a, a more commercially accessible sort of screenplay, but it's it's in, entirely her story. And it does have to be said that this is another sort of groundbreaking thing that nobody mentions. You know, over the years, female directors have had a really hard time in Korean cinema. It's always been a very male-dominated industry. And for Art Museum by the Zoo, as a very early film from a female director hitting the fifth spot you know, the fifth, fifth most popular she was doing all right for herself
0: i mean I'm, I'm I'm sure this might be somewhere in our discussion but um do you have any theory why why this hit so quickly and was attended so quickly was it star power that uh, drew people in you think
1: yeah, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about star power tonight because Hansa q is going to keep coming up as well as shim What you've got to remember about her, this this was one of her first films, but she had already become a huge television star. And prior prior to the new Korean cinema wave, the only people that went to Korean cinemas were middle aged women while their husbands were at work. You know, they'd sit at home, do their chores or whatever, get their dinner ready, watch television and then go out to an afternoon movie. As a result, all the most of the movies prior to, immediately prior to the new Korean cinema wave, were all melodramas, you know, aimed at middle-aged women. So suddenly, these films aimed at younger people and and with younger values started to hit, and it dragged people back into the cinema. That's why, big part of why the new Korean cinema wave was so important. It dragged wow. new people in, and for it to hit so. Big was partly that, but also because nobody realizes that even though this was early in her career, she was already a huge star. So all those ajumas, all those middle aged women would have automatically gone to see this as well as the young people, because the favorite TV actress who had been acting the whole of the 90s on TV was now doing movies. So she she drew them in and the story itself attracted the younger people on top of that. So it's, it's all of the above really. Um,
0: and anyway, uh, director female uh, director Lee Jung Hyang uh, has a modest filmography of uh, three films spread out between 1998 and 2011. Uh, she initially majored in French language and literature before entering the Korean Academy of Film Arts in 1988. Uh, after graduation, she started getting hands-on experience working as an assistant director on 1995's Declaration of Genius by director Lee Jung Ho, who had previously made Declaration of idiot that we've covered on the show i remember my blurb for the podcast uh, the, and i wrote uh, it's a sly little art film by a director who didn't want anyone to like it but i believe people did so that, that shit <laughs> uh, so, so for new audiences is it easy to summarize what kind of director lee Jiang ho was and uh, what kind of body of work he gave korean cinema was it all sly art films like that
1: very much not the case lee Chang ho was without question one of the most important directors in Korean cinema in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s as he started off as an assistant director working for the hugely famous Shin Sang-ok who we all know you know was was abducted and taken to North Korea etc etc Lee Chang-ho his whole thing was showing the hypocrisy of Korean society showing the chasm between rich and poor and producing socially relevant movies Regardless of what his storylines actually were, that was his big thing. He would do sly, off-the-cuff stuff as well, but it was always to hide something that he couldn't otherwise say. You know, at that time during the the the, after Guangzhou and what have you in the eighties and through into the early nineties, censorship was huge. You know, nobody could criticise anything and get a film actually made or allowed through. Um, and he started hiding stuff within other stories. On top of that, he chose, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on as well, he chose to move towards controversial depictions of of sexuality. And again, this was to cover up the fact that some of his, You know, sexually overt films were actually just criticizing the establishment. And he was using whatever he could to hide what he was actually saying and hoping that people could read between the lines. If we look at Good Windy Days from 1980, that was his first social, really socially aware movie. And he followed that with obviously Declaration of Idiot, Three Men, uh, The Man with Three Coffins from 87. Into within that, um, he did two really important sexually overt films: "Between the Knees" from '84 and a film called "Uwon Dong" from '85. Both of those are available on, or were available at least, on the Korean Film Archives YouTube channel. I highly recommend. I almost demand you go check them out. "Between the Knees" is on the surface of it, a, a sex comedy, if you like, about the sexually awake, sexual awakening of a young, uh, late teen girl. Um, but it's got so much to say underneath that if you actually read between the lines, you'll learn a lot about Korean cinema in the 80s.
0: Just because she worked for him didn't mean that her script for Art *Museum by the was infused with, with this sexuality and this offbeat, quirky nature. You know, she, um, she uh, went her way, I suppose, and uh, yeah, she started yeah. to work on this script in 1995. And the, it was one of the times in the mid-nineties. It said that censorship by the government was at its peak. Not, not that this movie is any, in any dangers of being censored. It's quite a gentle movie. But uh, I, I know you talked about that. Uh, censorship guidelines and what type of content gets censored changes from not year to year but era to era so uh, what was hard to get past in the mid 90s what was it sexual material or violent material they were cracking down on
1: as i say you know the whole thing really exploded after Guangzhou because the government was so scared, if you like, even though it would never admit to being scared, so scared of criticism of the government. Um, They started saying that every film had to show how Korea was revitalizing itself, show it in a bright light. So at, at that time, really, violence would have trouble getting through because they didn't want the whole idea of gangsters underlining society as being a thing, which it was. And it, got, it actually got to the point where I actually did a, a, an interview with Lee Chang Ho, um, I think in 2016. And I asked him specifically about the sexuality in his films. And he uh, quite famously, from my point of view, said it got to the point that censorship meant it was better and easier to talk about sex than it was to talk about anything serious. So he hid everything underneath and the, the government in a way, looked at sexuality and said, well, at least that means if they're talking about that, they're talking about base instincts. They're not slagging us off. They're not criticizing society. They're not criticizing the government. But on the other hand, all the sexuality that was allowed through was normal, if you like, the full sort of, you know, re- normal relationships, normal Everything, not alternative lifestyles, not LGBT, not, you know, BDSM sexuality. Um, anything that was not seen as the norm that's good for society had no chance of getting through either. So it's really all of the above. Violence couldn't get through because it made society look violent. Sexuality could get through, but not Real sexuality, it was almost veiled for, you know, this is the way it should be. Two married people in love, one commits adultery and then gets punished. It was all very normal stuff that was allowed through. You know, you can say, oh, yeah, sexuality got through, but censorship meant that an awful lot of real relationships weren't allowed to be talked about
0: and again coming back to the release of Art Museum by the zoo, arriving late in the year and uh, drawing in audiences to the tune of the fifth most attended film of uh, 1998 and as we touched upon it was really a uh, semi autobiographical story for our director of two characters living together and putting together a screenplay about their experience together and um, it played well with audiences and was also liked by the awards ceremonies uh, such as the prestigious Graham Bell Awards We see which is the oldest contemporary continuous film awards uh, ceremony held in uh, South Korea. Specifically, Leading Lady Shum Una uh, won Best Actress. Her male co-star Lee Sun Jae won Best Actor at the Korean Association of Film Critics Award awards and they also honoured uh, the director Lee jong Hyang uh, with the best new director uh, nod at the Film Critics uh, Awards. So it seems like a breakthrough across the board but um, as Paul has alluded to, Leading Lady Shimuna had been uh, making imprints uh, including that year in cinema. And uh, Paul Quinn is also going to frustratingly groan about it in a minute because at the height of her powers she retired. come back nope i'm living my life shimuna started out in tv um seemingly appearing in the 1994 basketball tv drama the last match and rose to fame across the nation as a popular tv star um she, uh, she had done a couple of films in 1995 and 1996 but it was really the year of 1998 that saw her fame and acclaim skyrocket with the melodrama that paul mentioned christmas in august and here in art museum by the Sioux. so I'm, I'm curious is it easy to determine if 90s tv stars uh, transitioned often to film and successfully so or is she a unique case um, of the time. So if we we start with that uh, question.
1: Certainly she's not a unique case in terms of moving from TV to film and back. You know, um, TV prior to the New Korean Cinema Wave was the big popular thing. Nobody, as I say, apart from middle-aged women were going to the cinema. Um, So directors wanted TV stars in to get that older crowd in and put them, within stories that would attract a new crowd so a lot of them switched between i will say she is unique in the fact that at the you know the height of her very short career she gets married and decides to retire from acting and that's you know not a common thing you'll see actors and actresses moving between the two stopping for a while but they'll always come back and they'll never say it's over and she's not back, and she specifically said, it's over, and no one believed her, and she stuck to her guns.
0: Um, She was in uh, a couple of movies uh, called My Old Sweetheart and Born to Kill, respectively. And are, are, they, are they at all part of the conversation when it comes to shaping Korean cinema and looking back on her sparse career, or those are kind, kind of anonymous films?
1: My Old Sweetheart certainly is. If I give you a very quick rundown of its synopsis, you, you you're going to sort of have a, a recognition because it's about a policeman who's called to investigate a theft and the thief is of course Shimuna. He warms to her and decides that she deserves a second chance and he'll pay back the victims from what she stole. Um, he takes her in and sort of acts as her guardian and falls in love with her um, even though she doesn't get on with him in the place they're staying to start with you may now be thinking oh art museum by the zoo except instead of instead of a policeman we got a military guy really common sort of story so yeah it just came along and went as a shim film she's worth seeing but there's nothing really new here born to kill on the other hand was really one of the very first films to show korean noir cinema Um, That really gritty, dark sort of genre that we all come to love um, and the film that we're going to be talking about in the next podcast, I would almost say would have had a harder time being made and being developed if it wasn't for Born to Kill. Born to Kill also stars Jung Woo Sung, who has become a huge star from, you know, doing Fox with Diet Tales to Scarlet Innocence to Daisy. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on as well because there are very much similarities to to a moment to remember with sun Jin, born to kill huge star cast hugely popular stars and the first or virtually the first neo-noir film in korean cinema history so you know it, it really should not be missed and it was at one point available on dvd i've i've got a copy so i'm sure you could still get hold of it somewhere
0: And these are 1995 and 1996 movies, Uh, so uh, they're they're a little bit before this uh, new wave. And flash forward to 1998, Christmas in August, I saw her paired up with Chiri's Han Q. And uh, where, where where they both and director Hoorjeen Ho were awarded on the 1998 and 1999 awards circuit, and uh, by and by making such a splash critically and and in a well attended film as well, uh, Human Arts media exposure and popularity showed it had not reached a peak or anything. Uh, she was going upwards. She reunited with Han Q in the grisly thriller Tell Me Something in 1999. And she went back to TV the same year, uh, making the series Trap of Youth, um, playing a woman hellbent on revenge. And uh, this was a ratings smash as well. And her last film was 2000's Interview. Uh, again, acting with Art Museum by the Seuss, um, Lee Sung jae uh, describes Korea's first Dogme film. So I'm curious. Dogma came from uh, the minds of Lars von Trier and Thomas Winterberg. It was their sort of movement or manifesto called Dogma 95. And, and that included rules that um, movies must shoot on locations, there are to be no props or set, the handheld camera needs to be uh, utilized, uh, there should be no opticals or filters, uh, the movie should be, uh, shouldn't be be genre movies, there should be no credit for the director, etc. So that resulted in, I believe Thomas Winterberg made uh, Festen, um, uh, Lars Montreal made. Uh, the idiots and so forth. So uh, I'm wondering, seen as it's just is described as Korea's first dogma film, did that sort of movement reach multiple Korean filmmakers, or was Interview its like the only <laughs> dogma film that attempted this sort of stripped down filmmaking adhering to Dogma ninety at, five
1: at the time? It was pretty unique, but you've also got to remember that at the time filmmakers that would come to utilize those sort of traits, you know, such as Hong Sang-soo, were working and honing their, their talent, if you like. So as the years went on, the dogma thing came back. I mean, you look at E.J. Young, he started out with you know, um, Unknown Scandal and and normal entertaining commercial films, and then went into sort of mockumentaries and very much Films with the dogma style and that that was a couple a few years down the line that he started that but interview sort of opened the Korean side of things and gradually others joined in to a degree Um, it's never been huge in Korea but you know interview really opened it up for them to do that you know and if you look at the storyline it's about uh, a guy who is doing a series of interviews about the subject of love and he interviews Shimuna and uh, he's sort of taken with her when he watches her on a screen etc etc the the storyline is very similar to so many other things but the different take on it using the dogma made it stand out wholly
0: so yeah on the actress again perhaps in western eyes uh, this is an actress that's forgotten due to a sparse period of films uh, but uh you know, she uh, she clearly isn't. You know, Paul remembers her, but I'm sure a yep, lot of people yep. does. <laughs> but uh, what really led up to her retirement uh, was, um, uh, you know, the media was reporting on uh, on an engagement um, that, that was apparently called off. And uh, then, you know, she, she had media attention around her and tabloid mm-hmm. attention. And she uh, expressed she wished to be out of the spotlight and be out of the public eye. And uh, obviously she did uh, got uh, uh, get married as far as I know, but uh, there wasn't like, oh, she has called off the engagement and well, papers, 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 tabloid, tabloid, that kind of shit.
1: I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but just, you know, I, I can see her point, but the whole I want to be out of the public eye is sort of <laughs> is diminished a little bit when you realize that she married a a really influential politician Oops. who's who's you know part of korea's national assembly to this day mm. so he he's pretty well known anyway and any state functions she would be i didn't put she'd have to be out in public again on his arm so you know yes she wanted to be out of the public eye but she's okay to be in the public eye on the arm of of you
0: know her other half, I guess. Yeah, I mean, maybe you tweak that thinking uh, what feels okay uh, after a while, you know. Um, may- maybe, you know, she isn't constantly reminded of uh, they're like, are you going to do films? Are you going to do films? Uh, because it seems like she's done okay on, on that front of being out of the public eye right. in terms of uh, an entertain- entertainer, if you will. Uh, rumors have popped up about her return to films, of course, but um, she, she went her own path. She reportedly took up studies abroad in France and um, started painting or studied painting and uh, she, they, obviously their the marriage was announced in 2005 because it's better to announce than have speculation I suppose uh, so she was in the public eye because of that but she was also quick to confirm once more that nah, I'm not returning to acting yeah. Um, she became a mother at the time, so who can argue against that? Um, uh, she birthed daughters in 2006 and 2007 and apparently continues to pursue education now, which had been put on the back burner um, as a younger actress. Uh, so she studied for a liberal arts degree um, at the Korean National Open University in 2009. And he's has also displayed her out publicly, too, um, at fundraiser exhibits and the likes. So so she's not uh, totally a hermit or anything. So how how can you be mad, Paul, at this woman for leaving the entertainment behind when she's doing her thing?
1: Oh, I'm not mad at her. Of course I'm not. Plus, you know, everything I watch is, is with Shemunayan, and it is her back in the day. So she'll always stay, you know, blissfully young.
0: Uh, but, but, but is she that... Uh, that oddity t- that didn't return to entertainment industry after marriage uh is that common that i'm, I'm gonna get married i and, and i'm out of it and then a few years later whether the marriage is going good or not people do return or do, do do you have a sense of that
1: i mean she she it really is kind of unique you know some of them may say they're going to take a break and then don't come back. Those are few and far between as well. But most, you know, even if they've married and got kids, they'll at some point return to the screen because they, they became actors and actresses because they, they loved their craft and that stayed with them. So she's she's kind of unique if you take the, the story as a whole that she just decided that was it. And she found other things that lit her fire more, I guess. Yeah.
0: Um, so getting back to director Lee jong Hyang again and a quick run through of her next two movies um, and really the remaining two movies because uh, that's where the filmography runs out um, really. And in 2002 she gave us the way home. This was a small rural story about a boy who reluctantly goes to live with his mute grandmother. And the film cycles through his anger and hating their rural uh, lifestyle. But the two grow to respect each other over the course of the stay. Uh, which uh, was a very small, natural, simple film that spoke volumes. Uh, and the same can be said for the paying audience who came out in droves to the tune of Korea's second highest grossing film of 2002. And eventually it went on to win Best Film film and Best uh, Screenplay, which again Lee uh, uh, jong Hyang wrote herself, uh, at the Grand Bell Awards. And uh, th- this has always been a fairly easy film to see um, uh, because it uh, became a Paramount title in the US. So it had a domestic yeah. DVD back in the day, and I found it on iTunes on digital HD. So uh, uh, this got out of Korea. So uh, Also of note was that the grandmother in the film, the mute grandmother played by Kim Eol boon had reportedly never acted before never seen a film but all aspects from the elderly to the young because uh, the the young boy was uh, was very young that clicked for me quite a bit it's a lovely small natural film but uh, what was your thoughts on the way home
1: i first saw the second half of the way home on film four in the uk years ago on a sunday afternoon I, i it had completely passed me by i wasn't even aware of it at the time and it The second half blew me away so much. I instantly went online and thankfully was able to, as you say, you know, find it very easily. I I loved it so much. I got the, the U.S. issue and at a later stage, I actually went and got the Korean version as well just to have the Korean version. I love the way home in a way i i love few other films because it's so understated it speaks of a korean cinema that those who have only seen old boy and the like aren't even aware exists it speaks volumes about the beauty of korean cinema the understated nature of korean cinema it's quirky it's gentle it's very very funny in parts because of those Two perfect performances.
0: It's like a two. It's like a two-hander, obviously. Um, I, I, I essentially, I think there are three actors in the film, maybe a couple of more by the side. But there really it's a two-hander of um, one that uh, uh, that doesn't have any education, and the young one, perhaps not not even educated either, maybe natural talent.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, just a phenomenal, gorgeous little film. I, I again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Adore it.
0: Very family-friendly film as well. Yeah, so, you totally. Know, whether totally. you like subtitles or not, it's uh, it's for all ages. It doesn't have those. Uh, it doesn't have any like uh, cultural gap there Uh, it's really easy to get into so lovely film next and to date final film for our director was uh, 2011's a reason to live which uh, had been a story uh, within uh, director lee for quite a while uh, dealing with um, she wanted to put out on film uh, dealing with life-altering themes of forgiveness from victims of fatal accidents and such so what, was this third time for charm, critically, and with audiences uh, for Lee jong Hyang, or, or does the admission numbers of 131,000 tell the story of its fate at the box office?
1: I will start off by saying that in 2011, the highest grossing Korean film at the box office was War of the Arrows, which made, if we talk in US dollars, made 50 million sunny, uh, which is, you know, essentially a... Girls chick flick, if you like, you know, female empowerment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's quirky. It's 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 sweet. It made forty three million. So for a reason to live to get one hundred and thirty three thousand, meant it only reached number one hundred and seventy six in the box in the box office. It did nothing, and to my mind, there's a huge reason for that. When it first appeared, a few critics were, you know, pretty appreciative of it and the themes it was trying to get across the story is about a woman whose son is killed and she's talked into signing a petition petition to allow the the person responsible for the death to be released early from prison uh and therefore you know she's having to forgive him she's then starts interviewing other women that have signed petitions and finds out that none of them have been able to move on from the drama the tragedy and she then goes to try and find the guy responsible for her son's death to make sure that his life is as miserable as hers. And it sounds amazing, but it also sounds oddly like Lee Chang Dong's Secret Sunshine starring again, Jun Yun um, from 2007. And after A Reason to Live had been seen by just a few critics, they all started saying it's very in the same category as Secret Sunshine, but Secret Sunshine's really a much super, more superb film. And as a result, every time A Reason to Live was mentioned, it pushed people to go and see Secret Sunshine rather than seeing A Reason to Live. So it's a shame it didn't do better than it did, but it's also, and I hate to say this about any director's film, it's quite dull in parts. It doesn't get under the surface enough. and. The director has, has this tendency that most of the film is completely music free because it's a really serious subject matter. But any time there's a really supposedly emotional, heartbreaking moment, music appears just before it arrives. So you, it's flagged up as much as a jump scare would be in a horror movie. And it becomes deeply annoying that you're being told when you're supposed to emote. Her least successful film, and my least of her, my least favorite of her films.
0: And uh, if she's working in the industry or not, I don't know if uh, that's um, if anyone can tell. But but, but certainly there, there there's a case for that. Uh, m- making films every five, six, or nine, ten years that's something she has done, obviously. So who knows if uh, something is in the works or not.
1: Time will tell, you know, It's, it's it, as I say, over the last couple of years, figuring out what everybody's doing has become a, a bit of a challenge because everything's been so closed off and we're all trying to figure out what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Let's uh, move over to the review section of Art Museum by Vesu, and uh, this was my first watch, so I thought it was a pretty solid charmer and debut work, uh, proving that there is a great challenge in making something pleasant involving and romantic using limited characters and limited space, which was the case for The Way Home, really, as well. Uh, The audience will have to fix their eyes on mainly two people, and their story better be involving, and Art Museum by Vesu proves to be to a very solid degree, so um, I uh, I enjoyed it, but uh, not very demanding and uh, not uh, life-altering either, but um, I, I think it um, gets its tone and feeling right. In short, uh, what was your feeling uh, uh, during this rewatch? watch
1: I, I love Art Museum, by the Z, First and foremost, because of Shimuna and, and, and how talented she is and how natural she is in it, but also with such a gentle little story you can take out of it what you want you can look at it as just a little love story and get involved in that i love the the quirkiness of the story that they come up with that just sort of juxtaposes between the two main characters stories and the imaginary character story i also love the fact that if you actually read in between the lines and you look at some of her captured video things that she said were just were fun you see discussions of love and marriage from the older generation to the younger generation, and it's nice to see how attitudes have changed. You know, the older people, the older people said they got married because they just got used to each other. You know, one one woman said she she didn't even fancy her husband until she decided that she loved him, etc., etc. Rather than these two new ones younger people who one of whom is seeing a person from afar and deciding that they love them before they've even spoken so it's nice to see that juxtaposition but you, you can completely ignore it if you wish because it's just another little addition this is just a story of two characters that are gradually gonna become involved and become bonded
0: yeah, she um, as a character, she, uh, she she videotapes stuff at weddings, like uh, gets little testimonials, I suppose. Uh, so it's not a huge part of the film, but you're right, it uh, it does have some um, substance and context. Um about love uh that's for sure uh it isn't a full-on comedy but they're just little light gentle comedic touches initially with the setup that uh the girl in the apartment isn't his girl he misses her he pauses her and he thinks oh that, that's her she's on her way to work I'm, I'm home so i'll catch up with her when she comes home he doesn't notice that it was someone else walking past him so a little light comedic touches and he's cheerful and hopeful uh, coming home and of course uh, they fight uh, for the space they're they're both entitled to, so it's that setup. Uh, He doesn't care if she hears him peeing, so it's that setup, but it's not attempting to be wild and quirky and weird though. Uh, It's never too broad either, it's quite light and pleasant and not uh, hugely antagonistic uh, necessarily they're not mean to each other they just start uh, it, it, it's light and gentle you know what i mean even when they're yanking the keyboard between each other as they as they try to write what their desired intent is for the story or well, one of the running jokes is that uh, Lee Sung-J's character thinks that the art museum by the Sue story needs sex because uh, that, that'll, that'll bring out the love, right? And she is of the opinion that no, it needs to be more incidental than that. And broad can work and it can be gentle and romantic and comedic and all of that, sure. But I did appreciate that it wasn't too. Uh, it didn't have any shouting matches. And then it becomes softer. So it it was a nice and even tone, if you know what I mean.
1: I also love the fact that, you know, if you look at this sort of uh, romantic bonding films from the States and whatever, you'll often see one of the characters, you know, ended up having a big makeover, And winning the love of blah, blah, blah. I love the fact that Shimuna's character from start to finish in this film is an absolute slob. She doesn't wear socks. Her feet are filthy. She drinks from bottles because she's broken all the cups in the the (laughs) house. Um, And and through the whole film, as they bond, she doesn't change. And I think that whole thing of they get together because they realize how important they are to each other as they are is, is a very beautiful thing that we don't see enough of these days.
0: I also really like that, uh, that challenge again, uh, that it's not set in that department uh, from through of course, but there, there is a challenge here that this is a match between a select number of characters. So and, and elements, of course. Uh, so there is limited space and characters. Uh, and all of that doesn't need to be overly cinematic, Ivy, if you make your characters and space work, which, which I think uh, she does to a very pleasant degree. There are cinematic touches here when Art Museum by the Zoo, the story that's written, is visualized. So she, it isn't this ultra-low-budget film or anything. Uh, well, I'm sure it wasn't expensive, but it is a movie that opens up visually when it's time to do so. But... Um, I, 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 again, a little two-hander in a limited space—not uh, not an easy thing to do, Paul. It's a great challenge to get that through and make that s- cinematic to the point where people attend your damn movie. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And people did
1: in droves, in absolute droves. You know, and and also very nice to see a, a huge star like Anson Key as as one of the imaginary characters um, bringing gravitas to a lovely sweet little story as a, a a slightly older man
0: yeah he um he was part of my i always forget was nowhere to hide 98 or 99 98 right so but th- 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 that was my first korean movie so uh, that was my exposure to him even though i didn't name check him until later but uh obviously that uh, Assassin in nowhere to hide is uh, is very memorable, uh, and Anson key is this uh, obviously cherished, uh, dependable veteran even back then. So uh, he enters uh, the film eventually in a very uh, a little oddball role because the story is uh, going through its uh, its tumbles. Uh, the story they're trying to shape, which is uh, a fun thing. I like his. Uh, I, I like the co-star in the imaginary segments that. Uh, Uh, the character of uh, Daya I suppose I don't know if she's named in imaginary segments but my point is actor Song is in both the imaginary segments and she is the ex-girlfriend she's very likable in the imaginary segments she's not very likable in the real life segments uh, where I thought she seemed a little bit overly vindictive and evil as they meet up she uh, almost looked like this femme fatale type character Uh, and she uh, has an attitude where she, she rubs it in in terms of uh, what she's doing now without the character that Lisa and is playing, that I'm going to marry to your friend. But maybe it's a design purpose that, uh, like, we're going to make her very unlikable. I'm going to place her in the imaginary segments where she's kind of lovely. So you're going to see two sides of the same actress uh, there. Maybe a conscious experiment, maybe not, but I I, I wasn't too fond of the, that uh, sort of a mean attitude, I suppose. Uh...
1: Totally, but but nice to see that she can place such... Completely different sided roles, as every actor should be able to. Um, I think I think it's a nice juxtaposition, really.
0: Uh, but, but we do attach to uh, Shima now, of course, and her slightly ditzy attitude works, I think, uh, in, in that scene where with the ex girlfriend. Uh, there's some lovely touches where she offers Ling Sun Jay his girlfriend's uh, drink glass, but she makes sure to turn to the side that her lips didn't touch. And she sort of points it out that uh, she didn't drink from that pot. So here you go. Nice, and uh, lovely without um underscoring it with uh, too much either. Uh, under those circumstances, she uh she lets go of a uh, sort of uh, not hatred, but uh, she she feels that uh, it's she wants him to be okay. I guess uh, so. She's pretty kind. She's a slob, but she's uh, uh very kind and she lays off fighting for space. You know, so that that makes her very charming, and uh, that makes the sort of leading into. Sharing the story of uh, art museum by the zoo and uh, their sort of separated opinions of where to go, because in the film, in in the in the film's uh, real life, there's a they, sort of, they uh, enter a place where if you go to the left, you can go to an art museum; if you go to the right, you can go to a zoo, and they both go separate ways. And that's the only trope in the film, I suppose. I bet that will change. I bet they will come together. <laughs> But, but yeah it, it, it's all fine and uh, charming and, uh, and and again the, I, I, I love the running bit that he offers her advice to her that her screenplay needs uh, sex because that's the appetite of the audience man. It seems aggressive, but it's uh, I was thinking like it's perhaps good advice for the parameter, uh, the parameters of a shallow contest, right that uh, if you're gonna win you, you, you need to spice it up, man. and maybe he's right. Do we have a? I mean, it's a minor spoiler. We never found out if she how that contest went, right?
1: No, because and uh, yeah, it is a minor spoiler. At the very end, she she gives up on on the competition, but he finishes the story for her. And the last we hear about it is him uh, submitting it uh, and then telling her about it afterwards. Right, so right,
0: we, the, the, like the, his final decision of where to uh, take that story. You're right. Yeah. Uh, do you think? Um, it's her so uh, of course it's easy to fall in love with her but how do you think he does uh, as a counterpoint to her uh, lee sun jay as an actor
1: i i think that it, it's a very nice balance i really did buy into the chemistry between the two i think they hit off each other really really well you know and he is essentially your your typical young 90s korean male yeah you know think thinking about sex all the time and uh you know uh not being exactly au with what we'd now call feminism but they hit it off really well the one the one thing that kept going through my mind on the rewatch was when she first finds him in the apartment and you know if that was today you know the police would have been called he'd have been in handcuffs um, but she sort of just accepts him grudgingly that he's there and he's not going to go away for 10 days from the very beginning and I think that's 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 kind of sweet and kind of old worldly as well.
0: Yeah, there's a little good moment there where she she does kick him out and he uh, uh, sits in his car. But she joins him in his car, uh, walking out in the rain and all of that, uh, all of that. And she has the sort of ability to defuse him, not for being overly quirky, but just being sort of nice and uh, m- making that a notion of peace offering I suppose and uh, and, and this fervent gentle humor um, a little highlight uh, at some point she I guess she only has one pillow so he has uh, <coughs> he, he has nicked that so she at one point sleeps on one uh, roll of toilet paper using that yeah. as a pillow and at one point uh, he says um, that uh, well he, he buys toilet paper because um, he had to use her pillow he bought a bunch of them so she has a pillow <laughs> for a while, anyway.
1: I I love the fact that you know on on a couple of occasions he actually goes to where the bed is and he sees the 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 toilet roll where it's been sort of crushed by her head I guess and uh, rejigging it to where it's an actual round toilet roll and setting it down again. I think that's the that beautiful, sweet little moments like that are you know they they come thick and fast throughout the film. I think it, it's it's very gently. Sweet is, is the only way to put it.
0: It's not an overloaded debut work either. Uh, it has two distinct setups uh, the visualized story that they're writing, and obviously the story we are watching, uh, but it's not overloaded. Um, the, um, and uh, Director League has to practice visual style in the story segments. It's, uh, it's much more brighter. It's borderlining on sepia tone at one point. So that gets, uh, you know, to create that sort of idealized. Um, Romantic setting, almost autumn-like in uh, tone. It's, yeah, very uh, much so. But, but it, do, it, it doesn't overload the film, and uh, you know, she is, after all, a young girl. Uh, Shimuna, and uh, she is a little, she's a little insecure girl that wants to be noticed by the person she has a crush on, um, like a senator's aide. I believe they they reference. Uh, yeah. and, and by that point, uh, there are lovely little touches where. Leeson and Jay's character is, is an honest friend. He's not harsh or mean to her when she comes home distraught, a bit deflated. He's a good friend. He encourages her. He, she, he takes her out for a bite you know, at, at a 7-Eleven or a little McDonald's or whatever. And, and these are meaningful beats, Paul. It's not too simplistic. Yeah. And it's really lovely, lovely and simple. Uh, she says at one point, if not in that scene, that she wanted that person, the senator's aide, I suppose, uh, to see him. And she says, he did not even see me. I could not even approach him. I was afraid he wouldn't recognize me, and those aren't aren't feeble feelings, young or old. It's not like emo stuff for a twenty-something or anything. Um, so it's 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 nice and real. And uh, but they're not pre-registering where this story is going to head, even though it seems like you know it's a romantic story. Of course, they're going to get together in some shape or form. Our two main characters, but I, I never felt that directly lay down breadcrumbs where we knew exactly where this cliched story is going to end up because it really wasn't cliche they they did stuff up until the final uh, final frame because the story was written continually
1: you know i also love the fact that you know you you'll have seen stories with the sort of direction that this has in terms of storyline so so many times you kind of do know what's bound to happen what's bound to be coming but I still was interested in going on that journey with them because the characterizations were so natural and they, they fitted so well together. I think I think it's just it's it's a a film that allows you to indulge in a familiar story without it feeling cliched.
0: And and as a contrast all of that, uh, the 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 visualized art museum by the Sioux story goes into date territory and the story date, if you will, seems stiff. It seems like Ansunki ki uh, talks about the universe more and it seems kind of stale. The, these characters feel a dis- distance between themselves. They fear a distance, like stars are distant <laughs> light years from each other. And uh, I, I, I kind of like how the, their interactions seem ever so abstract and offbeat because it's written like that. Uh, chun and uh, she also they're writing it like this
1: Um, basically because they don't really neither of them really understand what love is so you know it's sort of they're learning it as they live it rather than as they write it
0: yeah they're workshopping the story in real time and we we get to we we get those story segments intermittently uh, shown um, to us uh, and and at one point uh, the the sort of uh, visual um, indulging factor but i'm not saying that it's a negative is that uh, they do place the the art museum by the zoo story as it's written in the film and the characters that are writing it in the same frame at points but uh, i think it's lovely the way it's handled uh, it doesn't need to mean much other than they uh, are, it's intensifying, I suppose. Just a, at, at that point, as they are starting to write it, starting to finalize it, the cutting back and forth between the writing and the visualizing of the story is more rapid, Paul. And I guess yeah. um, j- just for sort of tone and feel and atmosphere, why not have uh, An Sun Ki and humana Lee Sung Jae and Song Seon Mi being the same frame uh, for a second exactly. or two. And and it's not about like, hey, you look familiar. <laughs> like they, they don't interact, but uh, it's one of those things where these actors only work with each other for a day. Uh, these are the times when they do pause each other. And I think it's lovely. It doesn't need to mean much other than it's a visual trick. I, I'm sure this is a stupid question. I'm going to ask it anyway. At one point, um, they talk about Shimuna's um, uh, age. And they, they mentioned... Uh, oh that's her American age no that's her Korean age I'm going to ask this stupid question what does that mean?
1: Well essentially you know you, me and anybody in the West when when we're born we're zero years old essentially and when we've been born for a year we're one year old Korea takes it differently when you're born you're counted as being one essentially you could say they take the point of a supposed conception as your starting point so by the time you're born you're essentially you're nine months old so you're essentially a year old so if you ask a Korean what age they are their actual age will be one year higher than we would have said at the same point if you're a, a Korean girl who's 26 it means you've actually been on earth 25 years but when you were born You were one on the day of your birth.
0: Yeah, because they have a little exchange, I believe, um, where I I, I don't know if she was sensitive to her age, but uh, there there was a little exchange. Well, I guess that's a thing, but I don't think I've ever ever heard of it. So that's that's interesting. When
1: you start talking to Korean people, they'll, they'll actually point that out quite a lot because they're aware of it, even though they think no one else is. But that whole thing with her being younger than him then leads to the whole, he was talking colloquially to her. I mean, there are two types of Korean languages. There's one that's polite that you speak to your elders with, and there's one that's uh, more colloquial to people of your own age or even younger people. So that just opens that up as well. But yeah, it's essentially when you're born, you're one year old. Uh, so on, your, on what would, our be, would be our first birthday, a Korean would actually be two.
0: I don't have anything else to say other than it's sort all of rounds of uh, bringing in uh, thoughts of that are very universal uh, aspects of overcoming bravery, taking a chance, risking sadness, and all these four characters the the, the, the fairy tale ones and the real ones so to say all, all of them possess fears about uh, letting in people and being brave and letting go and uh, and uh, that all sort of confidently. Tyson on a movie, she confidently brings back the split road of, uh, you know, go to the art museum or the zoo and, uh, they, you know, uh, mixing the fairy tale and the real life story. And it's quite charming and accessible and, uh, cl- uh, I don't know, classic, certainly very successful, but uh, very pleasant film from from that year of 1998. So Anything else you want to say or summarize uh, your thoughts?
1: I just think, like you say, I think this is a charming little film. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance to see it, do check it out. You'll have seen stories like this before, but you'll want to go on the journey. And, uh, you know, considering how short Shimuna's career was, she deserves you to see this film because she's so natural in it. And the chemistry between the main characters is one of its major strong points. Check it out.
0: And he's obviously still active. Uh, Lee j i Jae, I think his filmography is longer, but uh, but uh, she had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films, and uh, uh, a dozen or so uh, TV series. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, it. Uh, in terms of getting art museum by the it's not entirely easy to get hold of on DVD, Blu-ray or Digital. Uh, I couldn't spot that Korea had done a reissue and restored the film. Maybe they have, but I simply couldn't find it. Your best is best bet is to try and source the original Korean import or a Hong Kong counterpart, which we were able to do for a reasonable price. The the Edco Hong Kong DVD, it's not anamorphic, it's it's not terribly good looking, but when you're in the movie, if you just want to watch the movie and you have not fussed about standard definition or the fact that it looks a little rough being a very old DVD, it's it's certainly fine, but uh, that's how I could uh, get hold of it. Which is, and, and I'm sure there's a drive uh, for, from the Korean Film Archive or whoever restores quote-unquote old movies from the late 90s to keep them in circulation, but it's certainly it's not something you can look up and immediately find boom that movie from 19 like christmas in august in 4k or whatever it's it's not uh, being constantly recycled on home video it seems like yeah.
1: really not i mean that there, there was a period when a lot more stuff was being remastered or reissued but it's sort of gone by the wayside or it seems to have over you know over the last dare i say decade
0: so the DVDs are not um, are, are not this. Uh, it, it really it can be counted as the ultimate editions still, uh, regardless of what what kind of edition uh, they they put out in Korea or Hong Kong or likes. So, yeah.
1: yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, the, the the only things that are getting sort of remastered to to Blu-ray and the like are the the far far bigger films that were critically acclaimed, but that you'll have heard of the small little art house things and debut. Director pieces are kind of they've been let go, which I think is an absolute shame. But it's the way it's the way it kind of is.
0: Yeah, not everything is like the West. Obviously, um, it goes through the cycle of DVD and Blu-ray and uh, HD DVD and then 4K Ultra HD. It seems like it always is uh, improving and being promoted to new formats. But it doesn't seem like it's the same for Korea um, uh, in Korea or or elsewhere. Um, but, but yeah. So, so um, keep your DVDs um, handy and, uh, and uh, try and find it. Uh, I was able to find like a, a seller who sold a, a lot, but a lot you could make selections out of, right? So you didn't need to buy like uh, 30 other DVDs. So I, I just wanted that one. At any rate, we are going to finish off this episode for all your contact information and the back catalog of uh, the What's Korean Cinema podcast, podcastonfire.com. We're available uh, wherever you get podcasts apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify and the likes so i'm gonna keep that short and throw over to paul for for a final plug off his uh, site uh, and uh, she, she 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 had such a short career she never she never had time to come to the uk for any any kind of uh, media media appearances
1: sadly not you know i mean by the time her career had come to an end you know korean cinema still at that point in the uk was virtually zero you know i mean we were we, were, we had Tartan Asia extreme that was it
0: what about dan sun key hasn't he come over
1: yes i've i've actually interviewed him excellent very 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 gentle man as well as being a gentleman you know it's it's that sort of thing that you do an interview with someone and then they'll have an after you know when all those cast and whatever directors all come over they'll have a little do after a showing where they'll get you know a slot in and we'll all have drinks and etc cetera, etc cetera. and the nice thing about Anson key is that we were all standing at one side of the room and he was over at the other and he looked over at me and recognized me from an interview like two hours earlier he just sort of gently waved and you just think wow, you're this
0: huge, huge veteran star. Like, don't don't kill me to the tune of Bee Gees Holiday, please.
1: Well, you know, totally. <laughs> you know, so I've interviewed him, and we, we talked about Lee Chang Ho, director Lee Chang Ho earlier. I did an interview with him, I think, 2016, which is one of my favorite interviews because he was so forthcoming in terms of You know, saying he in making declaration of idiot, he actually wanted to make a film that nobody would want to see because he was so fed up with the Korean film industry, et cetera, et cetera. So those things are really nice. But, you know, getting close to Shimuna and the like, um, a much, much harder task that I have largely failed at. But there you go.
0: She got to France, but uh, not for not for your sake
1: well exactly exactly shame it, it's one of those shame things but there you go
0: Alrighty. well we're going to let you guys uh, go and um, thank you for listening to the What's Korean Cinema podcast so uh, I've been Kenny B and with me was uh, Paul Quinn of Angles Celluloid
1: thanks guys hope you uh, check Art Museum by the Zoo out um, and enjoy it as much as we did